0: The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com The first of the yamas is very, very controversial. It's a very difficult one. It touches one of the real hard points of life and it is not a coincidence that it is the first one. The yogis say this one is really a critical one. If you do things about this one, wrong things, if you break on this one, it will be very very difficult to presume that ever you are going to be a great yogi or to reach Buddhahood or something. Basically, in the history of mankind, you don't really know persons who have been grave infringers of Ahimsa and who were at the same time reaching enlightenment or anything. Ahimsa is a concept which was made famous in its time by Mahatma Gandhi, the liberator of India with his famous non-violent revolution because that's precisely what ahimsa means himsa in Sanskrit is injury and ahimsa literally means non-injury not to endure and basically it is translated today as a general concept of non-violence the first thing which the yogis advise is non-violence cultivate non-violence What the Tibetans claim or uh, cultivate as loving kindness and uh, compassion, and the same thing is about the Southern Buddhism, which cultivates forgiveness and compassion, is very much coming under the head of non-violence in yoga. Basically, the yogis say that if you search well enough, there will always be a non-violent solution to anything in this universe or in this life. And basically, if I am to anticipate a little bit, because many people will jump up and they say, what non-violent solution to terrorism, non-violent solution to this? No, no, it's not possible. Actually, it has been possible, has been done several time in, times in history, and it has worked in brilliant ways, but it actually requires an unusual moral strength and confidence to go through that. Basically, Theoretically non-violence is defined by some yoga texts as cultivating that virtue which will make that a yogi should not harm in a deed, in speech or in thought, any sentient being. Some people would just limit it to human beings and say any human beings, but Buddhism for example says that animals and other sentient beings, they also have a reason of existence, they also exist and the right they have the right to exist. So basically it applies to the whole kingdom of nature. This sounds as a big mouthful and for many people is, yeah, yeah, non-violence, right? But there are situations where you can't do it and so on. Let's analyze a little bit the concept and see if it is possible to actually live your life in a non-violence. It should appear from the very beginning that actually, yes, there have been fortunate people on this planet who actually did live their lives in non-violence. So it is possible. I am anticipating, I usually tell this in the end, but let me come with it now in the beginning with this remark. There are people who believe it's not possible, but yes, there have been people like Ramakrishna, like Yogananda, like Ramana Maharishi, and like many many others from the East and the West, like Meulana, Rumi, or you name it, who never resorted to violence. Funny enough, They didn't have to resort to violence unless, of course, the minimal thing, that you kill your lice and stuff like this, protecting your body from decay. But basically, because violence like this is the fact that you pull out a carrot and eat it, that's also a form of killing, since the carrot is a living being in its own way. So basically what I'm trying to say here is that, of course, there are some norms, there are some common sense limits. In India, you can witness exaggerations both ways. For example, there is a form of practicing non-violence, fanatically, especially the giants, the jainas of India do it. It's a religious cult, cult from the West India. And the giants, even the householders, when they go on the street, they go with a small piece of gauze over their mouth like the surgeons and the nurses because they are afraid to swallow some little fly by mistake and kill it. The giant monks, they would not take off lice and flee off their body and kill them. The giant monks, sometimes they will not eat potatoes and stuff like this because these are taken out of the ground and when you take them out of the ground you kill a lot of rainworms and cockroaches or whatever bugs are there. Uh, The giant monks would reach to the level where some of them walk on all four like monkeys very slowly and they have a small brush and they brush everything in their way just because they wouldn't like to step on a little ant or something. The great yogis of India they have howled with laughter at such exaggerations and they have said imagine that Buddha would have been chasing ants in his way or Jesus or any of the great ones. I mean, these people stepped wherever they stepped, you know, they were their concern was different. They didn't go to such a low level. So basically, the thing is that you lose the common sense. It's like you lose the natural limits, because there would be some natural limits. Basically, even when you kill bacteria and viruses, you still kill, and you need to kill viruses. Your immune system is just a total killer. So basically, you need to kill something to stay alive. The problem is not that the problem is not to kill when you don't need it actually indeed in a real sense so in this way there are exaggerations this way if you want i can tell you the opposite extreme that in india and it's not only in india i can give you a very hot one for today for this period of history in the islamic environment where for example the prophet muhammad preaches very clearly he preaches jihad he says if the laws of people are not fitting with the laws of God from the Qur'an you are free to break the laws of people because the laws of people mean nothing in front of God in terms of a very fundamentalistic person this is right, I mean somebody who lives totally in God would have complete contempt for the inventions of Tom, Dick and Harry that you should do like this or you shouldn't do like this He would say if God said in another way forget your laws, I piss on them, they don't mean anything to me So in this way, of course, the idea can be understood, but still, like, going violently, you know, I mean, rising and creating conflict, is automatically an idea which is taken to the absolute limit of it. In India, we have such an example in the person of Krishna himself, that great Krishna who invented Karma Yoga, I told you about him a bit, some couple of days ago, He is also the author of such a thing. In Mahabharata, actually Krishna is more or less condoning or supporting a war, And it's a kind of a holy war. His friends, the Pandavas, the five brothers, are the righteous ones, the other ones are the devilish ones, they are demons, creating mayhem. And basically Krishna tells them, stand up and claim for your rights. Because if a righteous person doesn't claim for righteousness, then it's exactly like you accept for evil, to take over. So you simply need to stand up for what is right, not because of you. Forget about your ego, it's karma yoga. It's simply that this is the right thing in history. It's necessary for the planet, you know, it's not necessary for your own ego or pride. So basically Krishna, the big holy man of India, the most beloved archetypal holy man of India, apparently he condones the whole world at some point. So you see what a difference between not squashing an ant and going to that level. That means we are here between two extremes and it's really difficult to say like this where is the limit? Then what is non-violence? Because we understood and it's beautiful and we know, yes, most spiritual people, they didn't beat anybody up, they didn't cut anybody up, they didn't wound anybody up, they didn't create pain to anybody, they didn't try to provoke emotional pain to people or anything, So the principle seems indeed beautiful and everybody thinks with joy at the fact that we could live in a better world where people instead of harming each other might hold their horses a little bit and say whoa 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 primo non nocere, as in medical science first of all do not harm so in this way uh, it seems beautiful but still we are confused is it possible? is it realistic? what are these extremes? Where is the truth between these extremes? That is why we'll need to analyze a little bit the concept of nonviolence, because apparently it is not what it looks like it is. You cannot really make a rule, let's make a stupid rule which is valid for everybody. Then let us see what it is. First of all, I would like to say one thing. Many people believe that non-violence is a kind of stupidity. I mean, if you drank too much milk and you became dead soft and you are a kind of human calf, then you are going to stay and take kicks in the ass and that makes you a total nerd basically. Non-violence is almost like inconceivable for a person with a strong ego if you, for example, take this word of Jesus in the Bible who says if somebody slaps you on one cheek give him the other one as well. It's kind of who can do that? Well, Mahatma Gandhi could, for example, there was a man of moral resistance who would say yes, right, if you want to hit me again, do it again. You do nothing but proving you are an animal. The moral superiority is with me. Yes, I took it, you hit me, but you have lost any form of moral authority in this way because you have turned yourself into an animal level. That is why the thing is that non-violence is something very difficult it is not a matter of weakness remember a cowardly person who avoids conflict is not a non-violent person a cowardly person is just a cowardly person a journalist asked Mahatma Gandhi if your child sees two people beating on the street a miserable third one and he doesn't jump in to protect the one who gets beaten up because he is afraid he will get beaten up himself what is the part of non-violence here? how would you define non-violence here? and Mahatma Gandhi said if my child wouldn't go in because he is afraid to get beaten up then the path of non-violence involves that he should go because if he doesn't do it because of fear he is not non-violent, he is just a coward non-violence is not for cowards it's exactly like an old man would be sexually impotent and he will start bragging that he is virtuous, ascetic and he never has sex with girls because he refrains actually he is impotent, he doesn't refrain he can't do it somebody who can't do it does not have that virtue So violence, non-violence, addresses to people who are strong and who can do violence very well. Physical violence, sometimes there is verbal violence, sometimes there is psychological violence or mental violence. Don't forget, sometimes verbal violence can be terrible. There are people who if you tell them something they can suffer more than if you kick them or if you give them a slap on the face. That is why do not underestimate the power of these ones We'll talk a little bit about this issue later. So coming back to this story, Mahatma Gandhi was trying to demonstrate that non-violence is a part of courage. First of all, you must have the power to do harm and to be so strong and then to say, "Okay, I will not do it because I decide not to do it. I'm refraining from it. That's an entirely different approach. That is why... Uh, Here we're having a few catches, there are a few catches to it. Um, Non-violence actually requires a great moral strength. Many people believe that you are weak, oh, non-violence is weak. But you know what? Funny thing, non-violence is so rare. That means, for example, besides Jesus and Buddha who were preaching non-violence in their own time, for example, besides Mahatma Gandhi who managed to do a non-violent revolution. In the 20th century the information is everywhere it would be so easy to copy things in south africa for example the anti-apartheid the blacks were fighting the apartheid system they tried to make a non-violent revolution (coughs) the nelson mandela people and so on and what happened they didn't manage after five years they were blasting and putting grenades and shooting and getting weapons from the russians and nelson mandela was in prison at that time already and some journalist came in prison and took an interview, a famous interview with him while he was in prison and said what is this story about non-violence because you claimed you are going to do it the Gandhi way because Nelson Mandela in the 1970 he bragged, he said oh this is a civilized world there is news, there is coverage, you know uh, nobody can just shoot us, we are not just slaves like ever so we are just going to show the world that if they did it in India we can do it here and they couldn't Nelson Mandela gave a typical politician answer, He spoke for five minutes and said nothing He said something like we tried but actually it was not the case and the circumstances and basically he said we couldn't do it. Everybody told to Mahatma Gandhi when he tried, Gandhiji, this is an utopia, you will never be able to do this thing. And Gandhi believed in it and when the British asked him, so what do you think we're just going to pick up our stuff and go out of India? Gandhi said, yes, you have formulated it just fine. I think that's exactly what you should do, pick up your stuff and go. And they laughed, but eventually they went, actually, with non-violence. That is why non-violence is a very difficult thing. Let us compare it with the following situation, not with the coward in the street. There is a story in martial arts. The martial artist, you know, it's very easy in martial arts to fall on this path of violence, when actually the martial arts spirit is very non-violent. The founder of karate, Funaronsky, he said the most modern karate, of course, He said that the real martial artist is the one who never fought with anybody in his life. That's why it's an art. Because it's not about fighting. Avoiding fight is the whole thing. That is why Morihei Ueshiba, the founder of of modern, of Aikido, he also refused to compete with anybody and he refused competitions in Aikido and anything because he just developed this aggressive thing. And he never answered provocations or anything, challenges or anything. There is this big story in Japan, in the, immediately after the Second World War, when the police is notified that there is an incident on the street, when they go, they find a big guy, young bully boy, street boy, chasing an old man, frail looking and so on. They stop them, whatever, when they try to find out who they are, find out that they are, the street boy is a very well-known petty criminal on the street they had a big file with the police, but the funny thing is that the old man is one of the big senseis is one of the one of the big roshis from martial arts he is one of these 10 dan martial artists or something so the policeman very respectful because the, even in the academy police they studied with this kind of teachers you know they bow down to the old man and they say but please sorry for this incident but still we need to ask you why did you need to run from this bully boy you know Because you could beat ten like this one, you know, for you it's no problem. And the old man just showed them his hands, which were calloused from training and so on, and said, it wouldn't have been fair for me to fight with such a person. So the old man just ran. Let everybody say he lost face. Face is so important in Japan. Let everybody say the old man was a chicken. He was a coward. He ran away. He couldn't confront a life situation. Let everybody say what he want. The old man said, I prefer to run than to do this kind of thing that's non-violence it's a deliberate choice of a very powerful person who says I'm not going to do it I could do it very well I'm super trained at it and I could anytime do it but I'm not going to do it that is why actually you need a very big belief you need a very big trust in this principle to be able to go with it because in the beginning you might seem you are going to get it When Gandhi tried this in South Africa first time, he got beaten up a couple of times, he got thrown in prison, but eventually he won. He came victorious out of it. When he tried it in India, he was put in prison by the British in India I think five times or something like this. Did he win in the end? He won, of course, he reached the goal. So in this way, it requires a special belief, a special force. Many people can't believe, what do you mean that non-violence wins, is the better part? Let me give you a historical example if you still didn't get it. Christianity. When Christianity appeared, first of all, it was not the nasty institution that it often is today, but it was a very sincere, fewer thing. Some people gathering, worshipping Jesus, it was not an institution. There was just this fervour, this devotion. But funny enough, for 300 years plus, Christianity was a persecuted thing. The Christians were thrown to the lions, they were crucified alive, they were burned, they were tortured, they are not one, not two. There are tens of thousands of martyrs, children, women, old people, everybody killed in the name of this belief. And funny enough, if you study history, the Christians never fought any battle. They never fought back. And the thing is, that after 350 years, still Christianity took over the whole Western world where it spread. Basically it's like winning, in spite of the fact that it seems you are losing. I mean, who would believe that you can lose, that you can win, if you are a victim? And yet, look at Christianity. It was a victimizing religion, and it won. It won land. And so, of course, later it became a nasty institution. It started with its own forms of violence, like inquisition, crusades, whatever, but it won at that time. So non-violence works, but you need to be very firm on it, And to have this kind of power that is why it is very difficult for people to see where exactly is the limit i mean uh, then you cannot create any conflict because okay non-physical non-violence right we all know what that means but uh, what about verbal non-violence right we also know what that means what about mental non-violence that means many people especially the chicken type of people especially the ones who are frustrated and repressed they cultivate a lot of violence in their mind uh, you cannot beat physically your boss up but when you go home oh your morbid fantasies about kicking the guy's nose and stuff like this they are just wonderful right it's kind of you get the emotional revenge by visualizing scenes of violence and stuff but very few people realize not knowing yoga, that actually by imagining violence and thinking violence you tune your mind on the wavelength of violence and you are going to get more and more. It's like your aura oozes violence. You are full of violence. You create that karma. That is why even mentally the violence breeds violence. And that is why I'm saying that yes, the yogi spoke about all three levels. First curb the physical violence then curb the verbal violence and then also learn to stop gradually the mental forms of violence, satisfaction. For many people it is still very difficult. They say, where is the limit? Because you told us about some extremes. You told us beautiful examples. Where is the limit? I'm going to give you a hint. The yogis say that the actual meaning of violence or non-violence cannot be understood unless you consider the concept of love. They say non-violence is love. Everything which comes out of love is non-violence. That is why one of the great Christian mystics was Augustine, even wrote in a book a thing which can seem incomprehensible. In a religion as tight and with so many rules and stupid taboos as Christianity, Augustine writes an incredible sentence. He says, love God and do what you want because if you love God you will never do the wrong thing a person who loves God cannot kill you cannot kill for the love of God the person who kills is a person who doesn't love the supreme consciousness that's the very simple equation of it that is why the yogis say whatever comes from love not from fanaticism because the fanatic doesn't love God he's just a brainwashed idiot that's not love love is indeed the living feeling of it as we discussed. So basically, the thing here is that a yogi can say look, there is a woman and she has a husband and her husband is a drunk and she opposes his habit of drinking. She stands up and he says you should stop drinking, it destroys you. It's not good. Then there can be quarrel, there can be strife, there can be conflict. And people say wow, isn't that violence? Because she provoked a quarrel, she provoked a scandal. The yogi say no, that is non-violence. To stand up out of love is non-violence. So basically that does not infringe on it. That is the same thing in education. The yogis can say a mother can punish her child. Okay, she will not punish it with physical violence, most probably, but there are other coercions, like you don't get to see television tonight, or you don't get your cake, or whatever, or just being angry, and I'm not talking with you for three days, because you tortured a little animal, or whatever, but still, the mother knows, if I don't do it today, this child will think that torturing animals is normal, and he will become a sadistic. Or telling lies or stealing or whatever so I need to show that this is where the limit is so basically the mother makes it out of love for the good of, because if she wouldn't care she would say you know what you can do that thing and then you will see what will happen to you in life bye-bye just do that I don't care but if you care you would stand up for it and fight for it and say no this you should not do there is conflict there is opposition like with your own mind right when you tame it the mind is wild and says no 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 whatever so you fight a little bit this struggle is very healthy actually and the yogi say this is non-violence therefore when non when your action results from love it is non-violence automatically that is why you see there is a moral superiority it was beautiful in the movie about Gandhi when they had this scene with these people trying to get salt and the British soldiers beating them up and there was a row of Indians in lines of four or five or whatever coming up and getting a stick on the head or two each and going, you know, getting concussions and bleeding and some of them getting skull breaks and stuff like this. And after the British soldiers beat them up for 24 hours all the newspapers in the West they said today we have proven that we are animals and these people are saints. Because they never hit back, they stood straight they look in the eyes of their aggressors, we beat them up with sticks like animals that we are, and these people kept coming, row after row, we beat thousands of them, and they kept on coming, and they showed us their will. So basically, they said, some of them said, today the Western world has lost any moral authority in front of India, because India has demonstrated that it is spiritually superior. We are the executioners, and they are actually white and holy. So in this way, Mahatma Gandhi demonstrated exactly this. If you have the moral superiority, you can practice Ahimsa, and Ahimsa will always work. Maybe it will not work immediately, because how, I mean, the Christians could have thought for hundreds of years, all oh, this Christianity of ours is just going to be exterminated. They keep killing us, they keep hunting us, we are forbidden officially, this and that. How are we going ever to make it? And actually, Christianity as a whole has made it big time. So in this way, you need a belief in it. You need to understand the principles of it. Moreover, please try to realize Ahimsa is the first of the Yamas because simply violent behavior brings back violent karma. If you kill a lot, then you will be killed. Then you will not have time to do meditation. Because you go out on the street and an idiot just runs you down with a car, apparently with none of your guilt. Tough luck, right? Better luck next time. Maybe you can do yoga in the next life if you don't do the same shit again. Or if you don't have to pay more karma. So basically, uh, ahimsa is the most strict of them because it is the most destructive of them all. That is why the yogis are adamant with this ahimsa. It is true that in India Hinduism itself is a religion and together with Jainism and Buddhism they are religions which preach the great lenience towards nature. Don't destroy nature, don't kill animals, don't torture living beings and of course don't do killing and mayhem among human beings. But uh, yoga appearing in this cradle, of course, greatly
1: inspired them and was inspired by them. But generally, the yogis claim that ahimsa is the right solution. You see, very often we cannot see it in the proper light because many people say it's not true. The world is not so idealistic as you describe it. There is a lot of shit and injustice happening out there, and what are you going to do about it? You need to strike back. It's not possible to live without striking back. It is the favorite theory of the people who condone violence mentally. And um, I always give this example. It is very often to martial art. People doing the so-called martial art, they actually don't do it the way of Morihei Yeshiba and with the spirit of Funaroski or others. Many people who do martial arts today, they are just street fighters. They are very violent people who search for conflict. Their Manipura is ugly, aggressive. They are accumulating a lot of aggression. They attract a lot of negative karma and so on. And basically it's not at all good. And you go to a karate course and your teacher is a violent person who will teach you an ugly Manipura. He is not Morihei Uyeshiba, a champion of peace. A man who never fought with anyone in his life, actually, you know. And uh, you are coming there and your martial arts teacher says, now we punch. So when you punch, you should imagine that your enemy is in front of you and with one blow, you crush him, you kill him, you exterminate him. Right, let's do it a hundred times over. What an incredible suggestion, right, to imagine that you kill, crush, destroy and so on. This never existed actually. It's not traditional. It's a falsification. It's an encouragement of it. Even today I am looking at so many martial priests. Always in the end the hero wins because he gets angry. When he gets really pissed off then he gets the necessary motivation and drive to win. What a stupidity, when you read martial arts you are angry, you surely will lose that only the calm one can actually win and be centered and whatever. What a perversion of it. So you go to a karate course, your manipura becomes terrible, you go out on the street, you are surrounded by an ugly manipura, even the dogs bark at you, even the animals attack you more because of your aggression, because even the animals can feel it of course. And basically, you go on the street, uh, there is a gang of street punks, they look at you or jeer at you and because you have done three years of karate and you've got the brown belt or whatever, you look back and say, ah, what are you looking at, punk? Then it's obvious, you've got a fight right on your neck. You beat them up because they couldn't suspect you're such a good karate uh, practitioner and in the end you say, oh, the jungle, is dangerous out here. See, it was a good idea to come and learn some karate, because now I needed it. That's such a stupid thing. Such a person does never realize that the conflict became of your manipura, came because of your ugly way of thinking, humble and reserved. It could have been avoided. Many people say, yeah, yeah, it could have been avoided. Really, we don't think so. Right? But try to think. People like Ramakrishna. Or like Vivekananda, who went to America and England and other places, Yogananda Paramahamsa, who moved to California, Swami Sivananda, who made ashrams, hospitals, printing presses, provoked a lot of people indirectly and involuntarily. So many other spiritual people who travelled and did a lot of things, why weren't they beaten up? Why didn't they meet with all kinds of people to beat them up and that they should develop this jungle mentality? It's funny, right, that Ramana Maharishi or Mananda Mahi or whoever, men and women, they had a very peaceful life, they never got in trouble, nobody beat them up. Are they just lucky bastards, you know, our lucky bastard, you know. He sneaks through life like a duck through the water, you know. I don't know how he managed to go without ever needing to fight for his survival. Isn't that a big coincidence? That so many great spirits... Okay, we are not putting those who became martyrs, because those who became martyrs are an example of people who believe that they sacrificed for the humanity. that they, they gave a meaning to their sacrifice. But all the others who didn't choose to do this, and actually they lived a life which was peaceful. Nobody attacked them. Nobody beat them up. They didn't need to hire bodyguards. They didn't need to learn Karate to defend themselves. So basically, yoga says, why can't you live like this? Why can't everybody live like this? Don't you realize that it is to change your way of thinking, it's possible to avoid it? It's actually because people always ask, yeah, but what if you find somebody who beats up a child and the only way to stop him is by violence? What if you see somebody who is about to kill someone? Uh, What if you see someone who is about to press the red button of an atomic bomb to kill a million people, and the only way to take him out is to shoot him? It's funny that you ask these questions. Why did it never happen to Ramakrishna? Why did it never happen to Shivananda? Why did it never happen to ever to any yogi in the history of yoga? Isn't that a very interesting coincidence? Do you think it's just an accident? It's not an accident. These questions, surely they are speculative. I can give you other examples. But in practice, will you ever be put in that situation? Basically, not. So basically the yogis say forget about the red button and the atomic bomb, the madman, and so on. Wait and see until that time comes. But until that day, cultivate non-violence. Basically, to make the long story short, The yogis believe that together with the arousing of the heart chakra, when you really start being in the heart chakra, there comes the natural perception of love, and together with it there comes a kind of spontaneous non-violence. That is why the yogis have always said, cultivate non-violence. It is the superior method. It requires self-sacrifice, you know? Sometimes it may be like this, oh, there is a situation, And how do we get out of this situation? There is a big, big uh, puzzle here. How do we get out of this situation? Well, the only way to solve this problem is to kill Michael. Because Michael is an asshole and he's a pain in the ass for everybody and killing Michael will solve the problem. Yes, but the yogi say, why don't you start with yourself? Instead of killing Michael, maybe you can give your life, like Mahatma Gandhi eventually did for a good cause. Why, do, why are you always ready to start beating up someone else? Why are you always so ready to start up killing someone else? Shouldn't you start with yourself at least to see what you are talking about? That means the principle is very simple. Sometimes you might find a solution in which you will sacrifice yourself, but it is better
0: to sacrifice yourself than to sacrifice somebody else. Remember this. It is only the ego which says, no, no, sacrifice a lot of people can die so that you should feel comfortable. What an egoistic, what a monstrous view on things. When we look at the great saints and mystics and yogis of this planet we are impressed exactly by this, that they are selfless, that they are not egoistic bastards, that sometimes, yes, they even gave their lives so that other people should live. We appreciate them so much. So in this way, that is exactly where the catch is. It is easy to judge others, and it is easy to condemn others, always trying to hide your own stuff. But what if you start with yourself a little bit, that not to be so quickly in finding the solution with killing someone else. So in this way, uh, I could talk a lot about it, but the yogis say meditate. think for 24 hours or something what is non-violence, read the papers that I gave you today meditate what your relationship with non-violence is how non-violent actually you are how would it be possible to become non-violent and so on and you will see that there is a solution, actually. That actually you can diminish aggression. After all, Buddha says, it's stupid. Violence leads to violence. If I'm breaking your leg and in the next life you come and break mine, it's like a chain which never stops. It's like a pendulum which swings left and right, and always it will go one way or the other, but it will never stop. Non-violence is like stopping this pendulum of violence. Put it in the middle. That means when one of them can forgive, forgive. And when you forgive, it's cancelled. It was Buddha who said, every time an evil is forgiven, so much evil dies on this planet. Because you seem, by forgiving it, it's like you cancel it, you take it out of existence. You burn it, you annihilate it, you neutralize it. That is why this power of forgiving and this power of nonviolence is actually colossal. The yogis say it would be a better world they speak about Buddha siddhi, the power which appears from it. The Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, that fundamental text of yoga, describes a virtue for each one of these moral elements, and it says by the perfect, by the perfection of ahimsa, like one who practices non-violence a lot, there results Buddha siddhi. That yogi spreads such a non-violence around in his aura, exactly as the agitated, anxious, and aggressive ones. They spread anxiety and anger around them. The nonviolent one is like perfumed with the perfume of peace. Wherever he is in a place, in a room, people are becoming more calm, more meditative, less aggressive. If such a person enters in an office where 10 people, 20 people work and they are stressed up and angry and whatever, and this person comes in and just does some work at the desk and so on, In five minutes, in ten minutes, everybody in the office becomes calmer. It's like nobody even realizes that because of the presence of a powerful man with a great aura in that place, everybody is losing their aggression. The yogis have demonstrated that it works even with animals. There have been known so many yogis of India who lived in the jungle among wild elephants, tigers, snakes and all kinds of terrible animals. And they never got eaten up or they never got, I don't know, attacked or anything. Basically they lived in peace with the animals. They have seen yogis who have even tamed wild animals like this. Yogananda gives the photo of one who had tamed a lioness. He had a lion, a lioness, a female lioness. She was living there in his ashram in the forest near his cave and not only that he tame, I mean everybody say uh, everybody can tame a wild animal if you live long enough maybe she found it as a cub and then she gave her food and whatever right? but you know the funny thing what it was? that this lioness became vegetarian she was not eating meat can you imagine a carnivorous, big cat not eating any meat although it was free to go in the jungle and to do whatever and becoming vegetarian, uh, a lion eating rice and milk This has happened that means this lioness in the presence of this yogi she had lost her aggressive instincts completely and this yogi was so clean so candid like a child he said I have even taught her a mantra and every time when I'm meditating my lioness makes and he could hear that actually she said Aum Aum the famous mantra of India many people would love especially the cynical type of western man yeah right yeah tell me about the lioness was saying Aum whatever it doesn't matter. This man was so clean in the heart, he was like a child. He believed in it. And this animal was not violent anymore. And it, has, it was against nature. For a carnivorous lion, it's against its own nature not to eat meat. Because nature has built it for that. And actually, it stopped. In the presence of yogis, there have been seen wild animals belonging on the same food chain, who didn't eat each other. Like, for example, a panther and an antelope sleeping together. And normally the antelope would be scared to death by a panther and the panther would eat the antelope and would have the instinct to chase it. And in the presence of those yogis this instinct went away. This reminds us so very much of this messianic view of Jesus who said, you should not solve things with violence, You are speaking with someone and he said there will come a day when there will be no more bloodshed and killing he said there will come a day when the lion will lie down together with the lamb and there shall be no more killing this is perhaps the vision of a golden age of this planet, of a better time of the hope for a paradise on this planet where indeed killing would actually be absent that is why Uh, the yogis share this vision either it comes from buddha or it comes from jesus or it comes from the bottom of history they share this dream that it is possible to build a world without violence that if more and more people would start controlling their violence physical verbal then mental as well (coughs) this planet would become a better place if many people would practice scrupulously non-violence they will spread non-violence among other people they would spread non-violence even among animals and actually that it is possible. That is why the yogis, (coughs) in their idealistic spiritual way, they have believed that it is possible to cultivate non-violence and that is the healthy option, the spiritual option. Again, I don't know if you'll find in the human history, great yogis, and I'm talking about those who reached, not uh, uh, just some anonymous yoga teacher, All the great ones of history who practiced any form of violence. They simply avoided violence because they thought that non-violence is the superior solution. It is easy to do violence, just to hit back. That's the primitive reaction to everything. But if you listen to the teachings of wisdom, there is a superior way which is harmonious, more integrated, and which might require stamina, which might require patience, Which might require confidence and which might require even a certain amount of self-sacrifice but which always wins in the end and that is why the yogis have recommended not only because of the karma because with the karma it's obvious you break someone's leg the leg will be broken to you when you have a broken leg you will not be able to do your yoga anymore basically you've got an obstruction in your spiritual practice so basically It's the same thing you want to make your spiritual practice more difficult and even impossible do violence and nature will answer you with violence but the yogis have also said that non-violence is a solution it is a realistic solution it is a spiritual solution it is a vertical very dignified solution it is a preferable solution and it can be done that is why generally in yoga you will see that the yogis recommend non-violence. Mahatma Gandhi was the one who took it from yoga and brought it at the level of the social revolution but actually the yogis all yogis consider that non-violence is an option and should be practiced as such. I will not tell you more meditate see where you stay with this see where you stand with this read the papers of today slowly slowly you'll have the possibility to make up your mind I have done my duty to tell you this much. It would be beautiful for your own lives to give yourself a time of non-violence. For example, you can try it for six months very seriously and see what will happen in your relationships with other people, in your relationships with animals, in your relationship to yourself, in your relationship with accidents and other things. You might notice an immediate change, a much deeper peace, and also this thing that morally you will reach a level of superiority because if you can refrain from violence you are already not an animal you are not just hitting back just like a dog you know you provoke it and it bites or barks immediately there is a superior thing there there is a buddha like thing you will understand more about compassion forgiveness loving kindness and such beautiful things which are a treasure of this mankind i could have given you many more examples even in your papers, you have some with Saint Seraphim of Sarov, of Russia, and others. Read them, uh, is much more, if you will go to go into this, you will see that non-violence is a universal thing in spirituality. It's not practiced only in yoga, in one way or another. They practice it in all the spiritual things in the mankind. You'll seldom find uh, some spirituality which would be violent. It's true, some are, but then we have to doubt if they are violent, like for example the Mayans, and the Incas, they were sacrificing human hearts to the sun god. Basically, I'm having full reserves to the fact if the Incas or the Mayans were any more spiritual, because a religion or a spirituality so-called, which kills 10,000 people just to give their hearts to the sun, is not really anything sane or spiritual. It's already a monstrousness. It's an abomination. It has no spiritual background whatsoever. So in this way, uh, this is why I say you can look around and meditate more on this. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com downloads.